0: This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I have my best friend, Connor Moore, joining me on the show to talk about drugs. Now, we originally sat down to talk about our ties to addiction and what it was like growing up as small children and being so close to that world. Well, as we often do, Connor and I ended up on tangents and not talking about anything about that, but we did still talk about drugs from just a different perspective. We talk about questioning our patterning and romanticizing psychedelics. I think there are so many conversations out in the personal development space that are misleading and that talk about psychedelics like they are going to cure the world. And yeah, perhaps maybe they have that possibility and that potential, but it's also important to know about all the other things that go along with them. We talk about spiritual bypassing and spiritual narcissism. We talk about the shadowy side of psychedelics and when spirituality just goes too far. Today's going to make you really sit back and question the human experience, what you've thought to be a concrete truth and where you want to go in the future i'm super excited for you guys to hear this one and if you haven't already please head over to apple Podcasts, leave the show a five-star review and rating if you send me a screenshot of the review before you send it in dm it to me you'll be entered in the get psyched giveaway you guys want to be a part of this i promise so take your phones get that review written, send it off, send me a screenshot, and you will be entered in to win some super sweet prizes, if I do say so myself. So without further ado, I will stop rambling here. I will hit play and let you listen to Connor and I talk for the next hour. I'll see you on the other side. Moore is in the house, my best friend, my confidant, my biggest pain in the ass. Yes. Connor Moore. Guilty. How does it feel?
1: Uh, it feels right. It feels good. I'm, I'm proud to be here. I'm proud of you for doing this. It's about fucking time. I don't know why it took you this long. I mean... I don't know what, you, I still know what you were waiting on, but I'm glad it finally happened.
0: I'm glad it finally happened, too. We could get into all of my critical self-talk on another podcast of why yes. it took me so long to do this, but this show is about you.
1: It, it Okay, great. This show I is love not when things are about me. me. I know. My narcissism runs strong. <sighs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so Connor and I have been friends about two years now. Yes. Which is the craziest thing because... His significant other, his partner Kelly, still introduces me to people as Connor's best friend.
1: Yes, which is awkward. Which is it awkward. It's never not been awkward, but I think it made her feel good, so she just I just let her do it.
0: But you know what the best part is, is that the other night she goes, I'm going to stop doing that because Lindsay's my friend too.
1: Yeah, she acts super weird around you. It's really funny.
0: It's awesome. <laughs> we all are very, very weird humans, and I think that with the trust and friendship that the three of us have built, we've all been able to just be that weird person yes. around each other. And... But circling back to the fact that we've only been friends for two years is really hard for even me to wrap my head around. And a lot of times other people who watch us interact are like, they've been friends since childhood. It's clear. Um, And I think so much of that is just because we have such a shared life experience, even though it happened on opposite ends of the country and maybe not opposite, but close enough. Close enough. And uh, and so I kind of want to dive into that. I want to dive into- I mean,
1: let me just tell you right now, addiction has no boundaries.
0: It doesn't discriminate. It
1: doesn't discriminate. State, I mean, there's different types of addictions in different states, you know? Like, there's a lot of meth in Texas. There's a lot sure. of meth in Sonora, <laughs> I will tell you what. <laughs> well, it's just a lot of meth in rural America, which I don't really understand.
0: Yeah, you know it was the best? When I was working at uh, the treatment center, Yeah. clients would ask me where I was from. I'm like, oh, a little tiny town, you never hear of it. And then I'd tell them, they'd be like, oh, the best twack in California
1: comes out of there. <laughs> I never heard the phrase twack. Oh, there, yeah, that's good. Flack, there yeah. it is. That's meth. It was so funny, man. I was actually uh, so we're in Denver now, and I was out in um, this area. this is like little shooting range. It's kind of like a public area. It's really kind of trashy. And this guy, it was me and Kelly were shooting, and this other uh, this other guy was there shooting. He was like, "Yeah, man, last time I was here, like people with like face tats that had just gotten out of prison were here. Like, it's a really shady area. It's like, if people roll up, you kind of just want to leave. But it's 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 a place where people shoot. So we just went out there and we're messing around. I'd never been there before." 10 minutes after he said that, I walked to the truck because I was getting the dogs out and it was when Remy was alive mm. and he'd never been around gunfire. So I was like easing him into being around guns. And I shit you not, I found a bag of meth the size of a baseball. It was insane. We're gonna talk about my, you know, my parents had an addiction. I called my mom and I was like, I found this bag of meth uh, at the gun range. <laughs> and she was like, was it like a, was it like a um, an eighth? And I was like, no,
0: I don't think so. Mom. No,
1: it was like the size of a small person's fist. It would end up just, we just like threw it into the gun range and just like threw it out in the, because I didn't, you can't do anything with it. What, what am I going to do with do? this? But it was like, if I was to fall out of somebody's car, <laughs> it was right, right by my driver's side door. It was the weird, I'd never, and I've never seen, I'd never seen meth in my life. So I'm assuming that's what it was. But yeah. it was like, it, yeah, it definitely wasn't like MDMA or something. If it was MDMA, it was like $3,000 worth of MDMA. <laughs> and you're like, damn,
0: why'd I throw that in the gun? <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> but uh, no, nobody, uh, you know, you don't try. Don't try floor drugs. Stay don't. away from floor drugs.
0: You know, yeah.
1: There's no way to responsibly do floor drugs.
0: Is there... Okay, I want your take on this. What's the responsible way to do drugs?
1: Hmm. Well, first you got to be... uh I think you need to have a lot of self trust if you're going to do any drugs recreationally. I, I'm because I'm an advocate for like recreational, responsible drug use, which is odd because my growing up around addicts, I was terrified of drugs. I didn't smoke weed until I was 20 years old, but I'm also glad I didn't smoke weed until I was 20 years old. I didn't need to be getting high as a 16 year old, and I'm something I'll encourage my kids to like hold off until you're, you know, weed till you're in your, you know, 20 ish or 19, whatever. Anything that's like like really uh, neurologically advanced, like LSD or mushrooms, like get to 24, 25. like get up to. You know what I mean? We're like, let let your prefrontal cortex get fully formed before we start fucking with things. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I would never want them not to have those experiences. And then we talk about the difference in like, you know, don't smoke crack like ever. That's like not one you need to play <laughs> around with. Like you don't need you don't need to inject heroin. Like this is the only thing you don't need. Like you don't need that experience. Like we got well, there's other ways to go about you know having a good time. But I think when you talk about things that are like party, like stereotypical party drugs, the first thing you need to know is like where that shit came from. This is something that people don't like, it's super un, it's um, uh, not, not talked about very often. And it's like knowing where your drugs came from with mushrooms even, but especially if it's white powders of any kind or white crystals of any kind. And I don't know if this is appropriate for me to talk about it on your podcast, but go, go for it. It's something like like the Zendo project, right? From MAPS. They test MDMA. They're like test your MDMA and tell you how pure it is. Because when that stuff is cut with amphetamines, you're in it for a totally different experience. And it is not fun. If you're expecting an ecstatic experience, like a, a, an MDMA type experience and you get a meth experience, that's a that's a that's somebody throwing you a curveball in a really vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. And people don't think about that kind of shit. It's like, oh, I just bought Molly from the guy at the bar. It's like they don't do that. Don't don't buy drugs from somebody who hasn't done the drugs that you're buying them buying from them, and don't do floor drugs. <laughs> and don't do floor drugs. And bartenders are the ones that talk about floor drugs all the time because people are pulling their wallets out to pay at the bar, and a lot of times when they clean up the bar, there's like little baggies all over the floor. I found I found floor coke one time. Did not do it.
0: I was gonna say. Did do
1: it? <laughs> so, but I've... even even with even with cocaine, like it's it's an interesting. It's like a it's just a demonized and villainized drug because it's highly 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 addictive. But I do believe if you're like the kind of person that can have a responsible relationship with cocaine, like, then you you know whatever. But I know it's not judgment. But if it's like I also know guys who would go out and or guys and girls who was like, if they were out, they were on blow. Mm. And I think that you get in those patterns, and it's like that's it's such a especially with with amphetamines and uppers. And having seen it in my family, like I'm really keen to it. I'm really I get really anxious around. Uh, people that are not around drugs but people that are are fiending for drugs or like really need need an upper it makes me super uncomfortable like I was dating a girl one time who did really methy uh molly mm. and this just this one time it and I was so surprised and when she told me that and she'd already done it before she was at like a little, little festival thing in Austin and I was with some other friends we met up and when she told me that it was like emotionally I just shut off I was like boom and it just I was like I was in a I was in the weirdest emotional state after that, and I, it surprised me because I mean it was an accident. It wasn't her; she didn't know. But um, somebody had said later on, like they could feel the difference, mm-hmm. and showed me that, and I was like, "Man, this is I." It's so interesting to me how much I just immediately closed off to you as soon as you said that. It's well, that weird. was
0: your body taking care of itself. One million. How percent. it knows how? Yes. And I th- something I want to circle back to that you talked about is being terrified of drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. I was the exact same way. Um, I remember as a kid kind of looking around and being like, Whoa, like, I don't know what I want to be, but I know I don't want to be this. Yes. And I was so scared. And I had the narrative that like, if I do drugs, I'm a junkie. If I drink too much, it's going to be a problem because I hear that it's this genetic disease and I'm doomed and this is where I'm at. So I just can never fucking touch the stuff. And so I'm curious how your relationship with drugs and alcohol changed from one that sounds very similar to mine—that was very like fear-based for a long time—to mm-hmm. one that you can have kind of more of a, a fluid experience with.
1: Well, I would drink, so my, I didn't—I wasn't around even growing up. You know, like 16, I started like drinking. I get, when I start drinking beers, you know, and uh, for whatever reason, it took me a minute to drink beer. But once you get like beer drunk the first time, like now, then you're a beer drinker. It's weird.
0: You also grew up in rural Texas. Yes. And uh, I think that's a rite of passage.
1: Yeah. But it's like, I didn't like the taste of it. It was weird. I could only drink Coors Light out of bottles, which is like basically water. It's so strange. But no, I would drink and I I had no issues with that Uh, until like, so I went to, I went and played football my first year of school and I wasn't drinking. Up, I never like drank a lot. Like my girlfriend in high school got mad at me because I got drunk every weekend for like a semester or like the summer or something. And I was like, well, yeah, we're like kids. But once I got to school, I was playing football and then I kind of, I got injured and I had to quit playing ball. So I just wasn't like partying and drinking a ton. I think I probably got drunk in that semester, like or that year, like six times, <laughs> you know, like it just wasn't something I did a lot. And then when I went to Texas state, I transferred after that year, after my injury and couldn't play football anymore, I transferred to Texas state and that's where I got introduced to weed and I'd never smoked weed before. I started playing rugby, uh, just as like a side, like a, a club sport. And we were all in minivans that we had rented to go to this rugby championship. And the guy was rolling, they were rolling blunts in the, in the, in the minivan. So I started, I smoked for the first time in a minivan going to a rugby trip, smoking like swag blunts. And it was, it was fun. It was fine. And then when I got, when we got back, you know, I started smoking with my friends a little bit and it became more of a casual thing. And those guys, a lot of them grew up in Houston. So they were around weed like since junior high. And I remember this very distinct time. It was probably like within the first dozen times that I'd smoked. I was at my friend's house and we were high. And I went, I was taking a, trying to take a piss. For whatever reason, when I'm high and I try to pee, it takes me forever. <laughs> like, I just like my, it's like, I it's know like I have to pee, but it takes forever. So I'm just like standing there. Waiting to pee. <laughs> I had this weird little vision like this. Like, it was very much not like a visual, but like in my imagination, it was like there was my it was like a cross section of like a human brain, like a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And one little part, all of it was red. And one little part in the very back was blue, like the very back, like by, by brainstem. Um, and then it like
0: i think you've just been watching too much election coverage <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: no this was i did not give any fucks <laughs> about elections at that time but um and the little that little like blue spot like burst and it was like dropping like food coloring and water and yeah. the whole mind turned blue it was just a weird thing and i was like huh i got fucking lied to like i got lied to my whole life about this shit they were cool with us drinking but like this this is the issue like i'm high now i'm like this is the problem. Like uh, the, the only problem I see with this is that I, I eat too much cereal whenever I'm high. And you know it takes what I'm me a while to pee. Yeah. And it takes me a long time to pee. Like that's, the, it's a, it's a minor inconvenience at most. So that was when, that was when everything shifted. It was like, okay. And I think that's why they call weed a gateway drug, right? Because if you classify it in the same, you know, in the same class as heroin, well, then, once you've crossed that boundary, you're in that you're in drugs now. You're mm-hmm. in drug land. First is there's like okay, there's like there's weed, and then there's the psychedelics, and then there's, um, you know these like control substances, right? There's just a different it's a different thing, and I think that that's a, a way better approach to it. But at the time, it was like all right, so I just started like questioning everything. I was a Republican at the time, like shit like that, like I was pro life, like it was we. I was just it was the stuff I had just had, kind of impressed upon me through my life. So was your programming. Yeah, exactly. So weed is what shifted all that for me. It was like, okay, I got lied to about this. What else have I been lied to about? Boom. Okay. Like made a full, full, like I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with it. I don't like this. I haven't liked it. I've been deluding myself into believing that I was kind of still Christian, that I would get back to it someday. No, not doing this anymore. I'm like changing my mind. I'm going to start reading some different books and just like instilled like the, my experience with marijuana, like made me more curious or at least brought the curiosity out of me that was already there. Mm -hmm. And I started feeling like more of myself. And that was really, really, really nice. And then it wasn't until I was like 26. And then I started getting into psychedelics. And that was because somebody, my friend Mike Bledsoe, who's going to be on this show, shout shout out to Mike Bledsoe, was like, hey man, I went to this this business mastermind thing. And people were talking about doing mushrooms for their business. And since you're about to start a business, I think it'd probably be a good idea if you did mushrooms, which is a very weird pitch. And he had never done mushrooms before, believe it or not. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. He's come a long way. And, um, and so we, I I got like some mushrooms and like did a few mushrooms and it was really cool. And then, you know, three months later did ayahuasca and here we are.
0: (laughs) That is quite the express bus.
1: Yeah, I went from like never having a psychedelic experience to like smoking a little bit of DMT like the week after I did mushrooms to like then it was yeah two weeks later I was doing ayahuasca.
0: And your ayahuasca ceremony and and how that even came about was it a really profound time in your life?
1: Yeah, I uh, I had was a I had my gym for about a year and a half. I knew the gym was going to close. Uh, there was some real estate fraud on the, st- on the part of the person who had owned the building previously and then sold it. And it was just a, it was a complete fucking nightmare. It was awful. So I'm like, the whole time I had my gym open, I was like fighting legal battles. <laughs> Before the doors even open, I'm in like legal battles with the with the gym ownership over our lease because it was, they had just lied about so many things.
0: So it was bound to be successful.
1: Yeah. That's so it was, like, it was like, it was like, yeah. So one, my business partner's parent, ma, our dad got diagnosed with ALS. So she had to go take care of him and help support her family because her mom was an alcoholic like funny like attracts like right and then and then that happened so now one there's two of us now there's one of us and now half the time i'm spending like dealing with legal stuff and top of coaching every class and trying to run the business it was it was a nightmare but we made it work and then i was like all right this is this is something i've wanted to do since i was 19 like i decided in the gym at 19 that i wanted to own a gym and i have it here and i've you know it's completely imploding and then Somebody had to back out of the ayahuasca experience. So I found out two days before the ceremony that I was going. And I was like, all right, let's go. And it was perfect timing. Like, because everything was falling apart. Like, everything was falling apart around me in my life anyways. And what ayahuasca did was just let me unravel the rest of myself Mm. in a controlled situation and just look at things differently. But again, it was like a returning to myself. It wasn't like it changed me. It just infused... It let me accept the part of me that didn't want to take everything seriously because I tried to force myself to be serious about shit for so long. And it just isn't, it's just not who I am. It, just doesn't, it doesn't need to be who I am. I don't feel right doing that. But I felt there's so many shoulds in my life. Like, you should own your own business. I heard that shit since I was 10 years old. Own your own business, and that's how you get, like, freedom in life. That never should have been the case. I never should have owned a gym. I was an outstanding coach. I was amazing at coaching. I loved it. I don't want to fucking own a gym. I don't want liability. I want to fucking hang out and have fun with my clients and make them laugh and have them a good time and get them fit, you know, and work out. And I was making six figures doing that. Why would I, why would I give that up to go have a pain in my ass to do the same thing? It made no sense, (laughs) but it was like, I had this idea I needed to do this thing and I got to let go of so much of that shit. And it was, it was really, really impactful for me like that. And I realized that it was going to be a part of my life now to share that with other people in some your form
0: to share like a that great unlearning.
1: Well, not so much the unlearning, but that there was access to because that was very specific to me, right? I would I wouldn't want to project that on somebody else that that was the right thing, but it was very specific. But that there were tools out there and ways to approach self reflection or or personal growth, and like that, it was my first kind of introduction into like personal growth. Really, all I'd, all the books I had read were like business focused, and then I turned into self-understanding has became my big driver for years and that's what shifted it for me and that was it was sharing like hey here's my story with psychedelics here's the way I've used them in my own life here's how it's helped me heal my relationship with my mom here's how you know it's made me feel like less inadequate (laughs) you know but it wasn't it wasn't the psychedelics that did it. It was the access that I gained to myself that did it, and 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 I felt that I had a, an ability to articulate that mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of people couldn't because I wasn't a hippie stoner, right? I wasn't walking around in like parachute pants that were tie dyed and like, yeah, man, we just need to fucking stick it need, to the man. We, yeah, dude, the man is like fucking taking over, bro. Like, it, well, I was not that guy, right? I'm a pretty pragmatic dude. I'm, you know, I I keep I'm say pretty grounded, and I wanted. People to understand that it wasn't, it wasn't what I had always thought it was, right? So part of it was my projection of like what I had my assumptions of what spirituality was or what psychedelics were, and since I had been programmed from an early age to think drugs equal a fucking miserable Addiction. life, yeah, and everything was drugs that was not you know that wasn't alcohol as if that makes any goddamn sense at all. Um it was it was it was very profound for me. It was weird. It was a weird shift. Like I don't it feels like a different lifetime. Yeah. From before that first time.
0: So something I have had a hard time with, and especially in kind of the psychedelic advocacy space, is I feel like people romanticize psychedelics a lot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the podcasts that I've listened to surrounding the topic make it sound as if you are going to take a heroic dose of mushrooms. You are going to, you know, do wachuma or ayahuasca and all these different things. Wachuma? Wachuma. <laughs> and you are going to have this like profound life-changing experience and your problems are fixed. And yes. that's just not true.
1: No, it's not true. But people that have an agenda will 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 sell it that way right people will people will sell religion to you the same way right that, that's, 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 the, that's the pitch is like with this you know blank your life is now fixed because you get to ask for forgiveness for your sins or you get to you know meet god if you smoke 5M meo DMT or whatever right or if you take my course like your life is going to be fixed it's everybody who tells you that is full of fucking shit Right, that's not the way it works at all. And I've seen people, especially. Here's the thing: if the more intelligent you are, the more different you have to be. The more not different, the more discerning you have to be about your psychedelic experience. Because, is as frustrating as this may be. If you have a high intellect, if you're like a curious thinker, like if you're one of those types of people, you are by default better at deluding yourself, and your confirmation bias is stronger, and you're better at at convincing yourself that things that may not be true are true with what seems to you to be flawless logic. And if you apply that to psychedelic experiences, which are very vague and very cryptic, right? It's like, sometimes you can get in there and be like, wow, I don't even know what that meant. And the best thing to do is go, don't need to know what that meant. I'm going to move on. I may think about it a little bit, but once you start to apply logic to something that's very mystical and you don't acknowledge your own cognitive bias, you end up being in a extreme, extremely high level of, uh, of spiritual bypassing mm. under the guise of being incre- incredibly conscious and woke and 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 virtuous. And that's that to me can be really, really dangerous. I don't think that there's a danger of like, I mean, people can overdo it, but you're not going to overdose on mushrooms, right? Like, you may have a really challenging experience. I think the danger of psychedelics is not being uh, kind of savvy to the way that you can manipulate your experience to mean what you want it to mean and that ends up a lot of times and I've seen this and it's been really sad to watch is people manipulating other people because of their psychedelic experience like well, I had a psychedelic experience that I I think means this therefore this has to be the case or you need to do this or I saw you doing this in my psychedelic vision mm. so that must now I must make that real and the projection of that onto other people around them becomes it's spiritual narcissism like that's very much a thing. Like I've gotten caught in that for sure. And I've seen it at extremely high levels. And the more the more articulate someone is about their experience, the the more cautious I am to 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 buy their bullshit.
0: So what would you say is a more effective way or maybe a more objective way to process your psychedelic experience?
1: Uh a professional. Like like if you don't one is a high level of self-scepticism and understanding that you, you can manipulate psychedelic experiences. People don't like to acknowledge that. They think that, like, oh, well, the drugs, you know, the, the drugs, the, the plants are my therapist. I've heard somebody say that to me before. I was like, you're an idiot. That's not how that works at all. Like, they did, they, they, the Mayans did, had mushroom ceremonies, and they, that ended in human sacrifice. Like, you can manipulate your psychedelic experience to mean whatever you want it to mean. Most of the time. So having someone who, a professional that understands what that experience is like has been through it, right? This is the great work that, work that MAPS is doing, that is not afraid to call you out on your bullshit, right? Like I've heard people process their, and I didn't feel like it was inappropriate for me to interject, but I've heard people process their their psychedelic experiences at a, like a three day ayahuasca situation where we're sharing in the middle of the, of the three days. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to them talk themselves into it being whatever they want it to be. It's so odd. And these experiences are so wild and so out of control that you can only grasp small pieces of them. And I believe sometimes the best thing to do is not attach yourself to the experience, but let the shift in your way of being, let that be present and feel into the shift and don't get attached to the the laser light show or the, the visions that you saw, right? Because that... Who knows what that means, but there is a way where you you feel like like your your way of being has shifted profoundly, and I think if you can focus on that, like what you're bringing back into the quote unquote real world, that is the most powerful thing to do. That's what I try and help people whenever I have clients that have had psychedelic experiences or do them while we're working together, um, talking through that and and helping them to create some distance between the psychedelic experience and the shift that occurred within themselves and bringing it back and integrating that back into the real world. But integrating is the most important part. And part of that is not getting caught in your own delusion. And it takes someone who's very strong willed and honest and understands what you've been through to keep that in check.
0: Mm. Yeah. I was, I'm glad you brought up integration because that was going to be the next place I went with this because what I have found a lot in living in Santa Cruz for a decade,
1: <laughs> shout out Santa everywhere.
0: Cruz, is that, you know, it almost, I call it like a the brownie vest, the psychedelic brownie vest where people are just collecting their fucking psychedelic badges. And they're like, oh, sick, you've done ayahuasca twice. I've done it. And seven times yeah you know and and it turns, and that in and of itself feels very much like spiritual bypass to me it's like i'm gonna prove that i'm more woke than you or more enlightened it's like if that's the goal you have missed the mark homeboy. Mm-hmm. but i think that you know I, I can't remember which psychonaut said it but it was basically like once you get the message hang up the phone
1: that was um that was timothy leary i believe
0: timothy leary makes sense I quote him a lot. (laughs) Um, So I think that people can, again, they get sold this message that it was actually
1: Ram Dass.
0: (laughs) We're all walking each other home. (laughs) Also, quote him. So I think that so many people get pitched this idea that psychedelics are going to fix it. And then there's this spiritual bypass that happens Mm -hmm. because it's like, ooh, okay, like I had that experience and now I have to have this one and this one and this one and this one. And that becomes its own, like I said, spiritual bypass on the way of to enlightenment or to yeah. wokeness. And how would you help somebody or, or suggest that somebody start to sit with those shifts and those changes and implement them into their lives? And like, what does that integration process look like?
1: Yeah. So it's different. It just depends on the, like, let's say somebody and I'm, I'm thinking you're thinking Santa Cruz, like spiritual one-upmanship. I had a very similar experience in Encinitas. And the only Encinitas, North County, if anybody's out there listening from Encinitas, shouts to you guys, uh, you're surrounded by super hippies. Right? Which is great. And I love super hippies for the most part. Hey, Scott. <laughs> What's up, Scott? Um, but the thing is, I think what those people need is, and this is just me, maybe this is my own projection here, but it's like a kick in the throat. It's like- and That's, <laughs> that's bold. What I'm saying is like it's like I needed that, and that's the, I'm I'm a relatively abrasive person, but if someone's sitting here talk like just flat out, if it's somebody you care about, right? Let's just say like you have a friend who's you Your know, I'm sitting right next to him. <laughs> you've got a friend who's like who's like you know I like for example, this happened. This has really happened in Encinitas. A buddy of mine was waiting for me at um, some vegan joint or whatever, and some woman was sitting behind him that had just gotten back from Bernie Man. And she was like, you know, I lost my camera at Burning Man, and and I felt like that was the universe just telling me that I need to get a new camera. And I was like, did she really say that? He was like, I fucking swear to God, this woman said that. And I was like, if I, so if somebody said that, I'd be like, I think that's the universe telling you, you need to like get your shit together. Yeah, you know what I'm or saying? like
0: ditch the camera and be in the experience. Yeah,
1: exactly. And it's it's like you need to probably like keep up with your stuff. I don't know. That's, that's probably, maybe that's not the universe telling you anything. Like, why do you have maybe to make it about a thing? Maybe you just lost your camera. Yeah, maybe you just lost your camera and that is what it is. And somebody, or somebody, it's in somebody's camper van somewhere. Maybe it's in the anal fisting tent. Who knows where <laughs> it could be? But it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, why? It's like this, you almost have to hit, like hit them with like, something abrasive where it's so out of left field because if you try to speak to them in that language, they're always going to be able to finagle their way out of it. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Versus hitting them with like something that's just like for me personally, it's like snap, like snap them out of it. And that's what I do. That's what I did when I was coaching with my clients. I'd be like talking about something and they'd be like, and I could see the stuff, the wheels turning and them, and like, and I just jump in there with something that's kind of abrasive, but loving, right? Like not being an asshole, but it's like, Hey, what are you afraid of right now?
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: And cause it, that's what it's usually like, it's like you're trying to do your mental gymnastics or emotional gymnastics to get, to get around this like fear bubble in your life. And it's in, when someone else is watching you do it that understands what's happening, they can, it's, it's easy to see. It's easy to see. And it, it's my friends that have done a ton of psychedelics. Like it's been interesting to, for me to shift kind of away from that world and watch the progression, it almost like all roads lead to that, right? Like All
0: roads lead to linen.
1: And all roads lead to you doing super shady shit, right? And the worst thing that people can do when they get to that place is start believing that the challenges they're placing in other people's lives are there for that other person's good. Like the challenges I'm placing in your life, Lindsay, the things that I'm doing to you, maybe I'm being uh, condescending, right? And instead of me apologizing for that, I'm like, well, what can you learn from that, Lindsay? And now I feel better about your self-growth because I provided you with an obstacle to overcome. Is that fucked up or is that fucked up?
0: I have a, a, a face entering my mind of exactly uh, who you may or may not be referring to.
1: <laughs> oh, maybe you do, friend. Maybe, yeah, I do.
0: Um, and, and yeah, I think that what you're touching on there is this like spiritual dick measuring.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: That that people can get on their high horse and, and you know, it happens with anything. We've seen it in CrossFit, you see it in religion, you see it. And I I, I would like to believe that some of that, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of lessons and a lot of ways that we can look at things and psychedelics give people a tool to look at things differently. And like anything else, they can be abused. Yes. And I think that that is what is not talked about enough. And that's kind of what we're touching on here is like it gets to a point where it's no longer a tool.
1: Yeah. I mean the dark side of spirituality is very much a real thing. And this it would be different if like there was a time when I thought these experience like I was the only one noticing these. But it's kind of like any like it's kind of like when you do steroids in a sport. I've done tons. Yeah. Once you do once you do, you realize everybody else is too. It's like once you and once you kind of see this the, the 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 shadow side of this whole thing you start to notice the other people who have had that too. Like me and uh, my buddy JP Sears, right? It was funny, like I I brought something up and then he brought something up and there was kind of, there was when we were getting to know each other and I was like, this guy fucking gets it. Mm. Like this, and that's why he can do the satire that he does in my opinion. Like I respect him so much for the way that he can see through bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, and he taught me a lot, a lot. He helped me, he helped bring me back to, to the, put my feet back on the ground whenever I was going through some shit. And it's really interesting to see that happen. Like I had someone tell me one time that who facilitates MDMA experiences that MDMA is a a gateway to pure truth. That's how they sold it to me. And I was like, and I did it. And I did the MDMA. Did you
0: experience pure
1: truth? I had a beautiful experience, right? And there were certain things, but, but what, what came up in that experience was expected to be like the act, because that was the framing that was placed Mm -hmm. on the experience. So you pre-framed my experience. So anything that happened in there now, because of that situation is now considered pure truth.
0: I'm witnessing as pure truth. Yeah.
1: Versus what I experienced was, yeah, there was some truth in that. And that was really a positive experience. I was also rolling my fucking balls off. (laughs) So maybe everything should be taken with a small grain of salt. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so much of that, and it's like, because do you understand how powerful you can be, right? If you're the per, if you're if you're the person with the with the psychedelic experience that are bringing people into it, right, and then you have access to someone's emotional state, to someone's self growth, to someone's enlightenment, right, to someone's like shedding of their previous selves, and that only ends one way, with your dick becoming some kind of magical sorcery device to heal all wounds inside. Watch, tell me that doesn't try to happen. Tell me that doesn't, Alan, my favorite philosopher ever, ever, Alan Watts, same fucking thing. Could not stop fucking people's wives. And I love the dude. I don't, I mean, I don't fault him for everybody's got their faults, but it always goes that direction. And that would not be the case if it was a gateway to pure truth. <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's the trend is too aggressive to not be noticed but mm. since you're more conscious and more woke and more evolved than everybody else all these sheep out here well now you get to you get to ride the you get to stand on your soapbox of virtue and be self-righteous and just pretend like you're but you're not but you're not because that. we're all one and love is abundant
0: okay i'm going to throw up in my mouth now <laughs> um but something that you said that now has my intrigue is when you have done steroids in a sport and then you notice everyone's doing steroids. Yes. And tying that into when you've seen the dark side of spirituality, you recognize other people have seen it. Is that to say that you have dabbled in or experienced or stepped foot in that kind of more dark side of spirituality?
1: Oh fucking I lived in it, dude. I wasn't the I wasn't the architect of the environment, but One of those things where I, when I finally separated myself from that world, I was like, man, maybe I should have acknowledged that gaping hole that I felt in my chest all the time. Mm. And there was a level of self-understanding that I gained from walking away from, to the point where I'm grateful for the experience, right? For those years of my life that I spent surrounded in this like sociopathic spiritual community, right? Where, where narcissism was only accepted, it was encouraged, Right, it was this weird, weird cycle that I found myself in, and it was, I thought, <laughs> I gaslit myself, dude. I would gaslight myself into thinking that I was crazy because I was the only one seeing what I was seeing, mm. until I stepped outside of that and looked back in and go, Oh my god, now I feel like I'm the only one that's not fucking crazy. And experiencing that, I mean, it, I, I would be, I would be lying if I said I'm not a little bit jaded by it. Right, because I've heard the same stories about other people that people listening to this podcast look up to and admire, and their message is great. I agree with that, but as we need to separate people's messages from the person, especially when it comes to this kind of world.
0: Well, because we're all human.
1: We're all human beings, exactly, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't give a shit if you're the president of the United States or if you've got a million followers on Instagram. Like if people are looking up to you, like there's we are fucking human beings. We're just confused ass monkeys running around with iPhones. It's a weird world, man. I
0: don't even know what to say to that because (laughs) I agree with it so much. It's yeah. I mean, I think that we we're meaning makers, and especially when someone has such a profound impact on our life, we we are wired to kind of hang on to that, and we. That feeling of being seen, of being held, of being accepted, of being, it's very, very tribal. At a human, basic human level, we crave that.
1: Well, especially because we're so thirsty for connection, right? So going to Burning Man with well, your I'm crew. I'm a thought
0: for connection, I'll tell you
1: <laughs> <laughs> But we are, we're so starved for it, where it's like, I, I don't feel like I can be myself, like, I don't, and then you go to a place like Burning Man where you can just, blow the, you know, I've never been, but it's like, you can blow the gates off the damn thing and just like be yourself at 1000. Right. That's amazing. But when somebody, when someone can leverage that, it becomes, when someone becomes the purveyor of that, like they're the one that's distributing that experience for you, it gets, it gets tricky. It gets culty. It gets real culty real fast. Yeah. And it's, but we're, it's because we're, that we're so susceptible to it. And it's not a bad thing because the reason is we miss fucking being ourselves. Like we miss saying what the fuck we want to say. Like you understand how grateful I am to be sitting behind this microphone and I can say whatever the fuck I want. And then I go on my podcast and say whatever the fuck I want. And I've built a brand out of that. And I don't take that shit for granted. I'm so grateful for it. But most people can't do that. You know, that's why I do it. So I put myself at 100. You can put yourself at like 60. And maybe that feels good for you. But it's, it's, it's interesting that what we're, we're driven by, like the road to hell is paved in good intentions, right? Like we're driven by the best of intentions.
0: Yeah. And I'm having, I'm having a really hard time sitting with this because I think that through this whole conversation, we've talked, you know, we've hit on how absolute power can be corrupt. We've hit on how it, you know, trying to be woke can actually lead to spiritual bypassing and how we truly, truly at the end of the day, just crave connection and we crave not only connection that is like, oh, I've got my million Instagram followers, but a connection that's like, I see you and you see me. Yes. At my, at my best, at my worst, at my all, and I do think that psychedelics can allow that to happen. I think that it can allow you to open up that vulnerable heart space, right, to get kind of with with the language that they use around it, um, and. And like you said, the importance of once you feel that, don't just keep chasing that high, but learning how to integrate that and cultivate that in your
1: quote unquote real world. Yeah. And waking consciousness. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how do you go about creating those connections?
1: Well, I think one thing that psychedelics, one of the most powerful things, right, that can be integrated back into your life is, is a pattern disruptor. Right? like you can have an ecstatic experience, or you can have a beautiful, loving, heart-opening experience on on psilocybin mushrooms, or you can have a dark, hard, grueling experience on psychedelic mushrooms. You can do them one week apart with the same strain of mushrooms and have two completely opposite experiences, but both are pattern disruptors, and both are probably what you need. So when you come out of that integrate, when you come out and you begin the integration process there's a way to internalize the shifts like i was talking about and you've got to go put that into action not immediately like give yourself a minute to regroup but if that's if that's if you're feeling more drawn like if that dark experience like brought something out of you you've got to have you got to bring that into your waking consciousness right you've got to start to pattern bringing that stuff into real life or what we perceive to be real life And if you can start to do that, then you're, that's integration, right? Integration is bringing what you, the shifts from psychedelic experiences into real life. And you've got to do that with people you trust, right? Maybe a partner or a good friend or somebody who was in the experience with you. And a lot of that has to do with how you show up for other people, how you listen to other people. Mm. Like one thing I've learned is like listening was a big part of it. Like not being present with other people and not just waiting to talk is something I learned on psychedelics. Like it took that shift and that pattern recognition for me to be more empathetic to other people. And I had to check that. And it wasn't like, Oh, I can only do that when I'm microdosing mushrooms. Right. That's something I need to be super conscious of in my day-to-day life. And that's a shift. That to me is integration, right? It's not becoming more spiritual all the time. Maybe you'd get the fucking download from the universe while you're on, you know, MDMA or LSD. You just need to work a little harder, you know? And whenever your mind's sorted out and you come back, like make a fucking list, get things in order, Make your bed every morning. Like those little things that we think about as like self, like personal development type shit, that's integration in my mind. It's like, what are you bringing back to the real world? Because your psychedelic experiences are cool and you're going to have great stories, but what are you bringing back? You know, are you, is all you're bringing back stories? Or are you actually doing the fucking work of showing up and like being more compassionate for somebody and understanding what that means for you? Because because compassion for you might be something way different than what compassion is for me, you know? Like I think and, and, and your your purpose, your the way you show up, the what you do, the way you work, like the way you speak, all that stuff to me gets shifted in those experiences and those patterns get broken and you get a chance to put yourself back together. Like you get shattered into a million pieces and you get to put yourself back together and sometimes you get to leave some things out that you don't really want anymore. That's an amazing gift. But you're still wired for that to be a part of you. So you've got to fill that space with something else. And a lot of times, if you do it well, it gets filled with empathy, compassion, understanding, you know, patience, uh, drive, commitment, clarity, right? If you take out some of the bullshit, you have a little space inside yourself, a little energy vacuum, and you've got to be really conscious of what you put in there. Because a lot of times it can be power, right, or money, or status, and that doesn't make you more conscious, right? Even though you language it really well. It's like, what can you really, really, really bring back into this world? And what's going to bring value to your life and in turn the people around you? To me, that's integration. And I think that if you have that intention, you're starting off in a way better place. And you you have, I think experiencing some of the spiritual narcissism and kind of spiritual bypassing is important. And learning to catch yourself in it is important. Like that's growth. Mm. Learning to catch yourself in your own bullshit is a a positive feedback cycle that'll that'll pay dividends for life right if you can catch your if you can call yourself out on your own bullshit you're in the one percent
0: oh i'm doing it again (laughs) that's my favorite line when i first and this is not psychedelic work this is literally just therapy work which you know psychedelics therapy whatever container works for you work it for me, it was therapy and and it was like, my friend, you've probably heard me say it, like my friends have heard it, partners have heard it, my family's heard it. I will be like mid sentence, mid fucking rage and be like, oh, I'm doing it again. <laughs> and it's my favorite line and it is something that people laugh at. It makes everyone else's human experience feel like, oh fuck, like I do that too. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, we're all crazy you, you call us baboons or monkeys? Monkeys. We're crazy monkeys, right? Yeah. We're trying to figure this thing out, and and there's no how-to book. Well, that's kind of a lie. There's a lot of how-to books,
1: but a <laughs> lot of them are bullshit. Um, you got to lean in. You got to lean in. Lean Feel in. it.
0: Align your chakras, and all will be right. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, like taking the time, and I think this is something you do really well, and we can do another show in the future about this. But taking the time to laugh at yourself taking the time to know that this work is fucking hard is really hard and anyone that tells you it is easy go see someone else. Yeah. You are not with a good person if, if that is the message that they're giving you. And knowing that like we're all figuring it out. We're yeah. there's so much in laughing at it and sitting with it and experiencing this discomfort and knowing that the discomfort doesn't make you bad or wrong. It just is. And being open to disrupting that pattern
1: yep 100 percent. i mean i had I, you know who paul selig is right mm-hmm. the channel so i have a one-on-one call with him next week
0: oh my gosh that's so cool
1: i'm very excited about can, it
0: i'm gonna be very honest listeners for those of you out there who have not listened to paul selig do it i the first time i listened to paul selig was on aubrey's podcast uh-huh. and I was kind I was like really tired, driving home from work, wasn't quite listening to the intro. I'm like, all right, this you know, this title sounds cool, sick, clickbait. And I'm driving and all of a sudden he starts channeling. And I was like, my radio's fucking possessed. Yeah. Like, what is coming out of this thing? And I had like this creepy, weird, eerie feeling. And I couldn't stop listening.
1: Yeah, it's incredible.
0: So for those of you that have not listened to any of Paul Selig's work, find it. We'll link some in the show notes. He's been on your show,
1: right? No, he's not. Oh. No, no. I've, I've had a reading from him before okay. at that at that podcast. Um, but one of the things he was going into, he was doing a reading for me or somebody else. It was me. Yeah, it was me. And it was really, really cool. And it was one of those things where it was like, you're getting. he was getting into what was going on. He was getting really deep and it was really pretty uncomfortable, uh, but in a good way. And something he said just real it sounds so simple, but he was like, hey, this is just human stuff. This is just human stuff. Like this isn't, no one's broken here. Nothing's wrong. Like it's just human stuff. And that was something I really needed to hear at the time, which mm-hmm. he, of course, if he's a channel, he has a way of handling that. But I thought that was just such a nice, and I use it with my clients so much, especially when things get hard. I'm like, hey dude, this is just human stuff. And I don't even like, I mean, it is hard, I guess you could say that. I like the word like uncomfortable a little bit better. It's uncomfortable, but it's, it's just human stuff, man. <laughs> like, that's what it is, you know, and you make decisions and some things are your fault and some things aren't. And you got to take ownership of regardless. Like you got to take responsibility for all of it. If your parents were fucking junkies and you're here, you are like not your fault, but it's your responsibility now. And everybody gets dealt some weird fucking hand and we all have stuff to deal with, but it's just human stuff. It's what we, it's what we are. It's, it's a, it's beautiful in a way that we all have this incredibly diverse experience. And sometimes that works out better for some people than others. And that's, That's the unfortunate part. And that to me is hard to me. It's what's hard is knowing that there's people who had like, as challenging as my life. He might think my life may be or whatever. Like what's hard. What's hard for me is understanding that other people had it worse or have a different situation or don't get out of their own bullshit. Right. And it's like that it's hard for me in that way. But to me, the growth part, like once you learn that it's just part of the deal, like it's just part of the deal. If you want to fucking be here, It's part of the thing.
0: Yeah. Well, you move out of victim mentality. Yes. This is happening to me and I am not the person who will be like, you need to reframe that. This is happening for you. (laughs) I'm not because there are certain things that when I talk to clients, it was like, no, your sexual assault did not happen for you. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And so I, I have a hard time with that message. However, we, not a single one of us is going to get out of this life without experiencing trauma. No, not a single one. And we can experience the trauma at different levels. What, what might traumatize me might not traumatize you. And that's just our experience. Um, and, and even though it sucks and even though it sometimes should not have to be our responsibility, we need to own our experience. And in that time, you know, that's where so many people get caught up and that's when trauma bonds happen. And that's when these, like these things happen that are, move us out of discomfort and make us comfortable, but don't make us grow. Don't make us heal. Mm -hmm. And people can get stuck there for an eternity. Or what you're saying, you can choose to see it as like, Hey, this is human stuff. We're all dealing with it. I'm not so important that I'm the only person on the entire planet that has ever dealt with something like this. And we are all in a position that we can help one another through that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. The, the sexual assault example is a great one because by the somewhat time someone is talking to you about that, like they're they're in therapy about it, they're working through it, like they're taking responsibility for that thing. And that's a hard one, right? Like you got raped, you got hit you got hit by a drunk driver and now you're in a wheelchair. Like, is that your fault? One million percent no. Did it happen for you? No. But it is your responsibility now. And that's fucking rough. That sucks, but that's it. that's that's the game we're playing here, and it's it's it can happen to anybody at any time. It, just terrible things fucking happen, man. It's so weird. Like when Remy died, right? So my ten month old puppy died, and I'd never. It was the weirdest thing. Like they they I found out, and I like crumbled into a million pieces, and I'm a puddle on the I'm a puddle on the floor. Like the woman who came Did in didn't take
0: psychedelics. To no. go into the million little pieces. No, no, other just, things can do this to you yeah, too. Yeah,
1: and so the woman who told the, the the woman who owns the company where this said, oh, this accident happened came to her house, told me I, I turned into a child. I was just like lost, lost. I like lost a part of me. I felt like a part of me died. And I started thinking, I'm like, man, you know, when you start to process it, like he was just playing. He had no idea, like that he could get hurt. And then I started thinking, what if, what if about the kids who like drowned in swimming pools? Same exact scenario right? Doesn't know what the dangerous, doesn't know what's dangerous, just playing, doing their thing, being kids like that. I can't imagine. I can't imagine something hurting more than this. And then you start to think about all the things that would fucking hurt more than this and all the people that deal with them. And it's like, man, it's just, it was this weird experience of just feeling empty and broken. And then going into this, like trying to recover from that and not feeling joy in my life at all. Like 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 my life was just devoid like vo- a void, like I was just waking up and like doing whatever and trying I would like get it together and do a podcast for an hour and then just be like I don't I give zero fucks about anything. It was the craziest experience and I just had to remind myself like the the tenet of my life is like the nature of life is experience, and that doesn't always mean they're fun experiences, but you have a responsibility to experience and feel all of it. As fucked up and unfair and 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 sad and painful as it may be, it it was like it was a lot, man. And I know it's a it's a fucking dog, right? It was like a dog, but it was like it was, it was, it was something that really shook me deep. And even now, like I feel like a part of me is dead. You know, it's like the weirdest, it's the weirdest thing. I think about that guy all the time. But it just, it's like that Alan Watts quote about being a, a nerve ending on the universe has gotten me through so much of like, you know, rebuilding a relationship with my mom to getting through this to failing my, you know, failing at a business, like all of that was like, listen, you're here to experience. And if I can do my job and articulating the experiences and bringing that to whatever I'm discussing on my podcast or in real life or on a show like this, then it means something, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all going to die. And you have what you experienced to think about when, and then those last moments and that's really it. And if you experienced love and pain and joy and excitement as much as you could, and you were actually present for it, then I feel like you lived a good life because it doesn't really matter or anything else. Right. If you get to experience like what it's like to, to hold your child or love something that, that, that loves you back. Like that's, that's incredible. And if you can take that with you on the way out, like that's, That's all you got until you just rejoin the soup of souls. That is the universe or whatever (laughs) or whatever or whatever. We're all going to be surprised.
0: What a way to bring it all in, in the end. And you know, everything that you just said there is beautiful and that we're, none of us are going to get out of this life experience without pain yeah, without, and on the flip side of that, without like immense ecstasy and happiness. And if people want, to find more stories more dialogue like this more of your voice more of your rambling (laughs) i'm just kidding i really enjoyed all of that where would they find it
1: uh you can find me in a few places so i've got the realness podcast which is my interview show where i interview people like you and then i've got connor wanders where i talk about politics and current events in a very aggressive way (laughs) connor wanders the realness that's where i'm at
0: awesome thanks so much con
1: thanks love